You found it. The show where you can be the listener and the guest. And it starts right now. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady, and welcome to the second show, the second edition of You Are the Guest. And we have two great guests for you today you'll find very interesting. One is from Nina, Wisconsin, and the other one is from Omaha, Nebraska. But before we get started with the show, I'd like to thank everybody that chimed in over the last few days after our first show. We heard a lot of good comments from people from across America, also from Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, Japan, Uruguay, the Russian Federation, and also Australia. So thank you so much for your support. Let's go ahead and get started with our first guest. I'd like to welcome to the show Karen from Omaha, Nebraska. Karen, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself, about what you do, and about Omaha, Nebraska. Hmm. Well, I'm 36, pretty much born and raised in Omaha. Um, currently working as an administrative assistant. Lived in Omaha till I was 18, moved away, went to college. Came back when I was about 30. Where did you go to? Where did I go to when I left? Yeah. I left to go to college. Started out at TCU in Fort Worth. Then I went to Loyola in New Orleans. And then I went to UT in Austin. So what's been your favorite place other than home? I would have to say Austin. Why? Um, at the time that I moved there, it was the liberal oasis of Texas. Um, it was very free-thinking, it was cheap, um, had a fantastic university. I transferred in from a, two smaller colleges, one, both of them private, um, and it was just you could do anything you wanted. You could learn anything you wanted. You could explore whatever you wanted. So tell me about Nebraska and, and about Omaha. I mean, how, how's the standard of living in, in Nebraska and Omaha, and, and how are the, how's the government of the state of nebraska treating you well i think that um, politics um, you know nebraska is a red state but i was raised in a traditional you know kennedy democrat you know irish catholic democrat family um and i think omaha is probably an undiscovered gem i think people don't realize what omaha is they don't realize how big it is they don't realize what we have here they don't realize how many companies are here you know, a lot of people don't realize we have hot running water and electricity and phone service and cable. So here's your chance to tell the world about Omaha, Nebraska. What would you like people to know about Omaha, Nebraska? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska is a good place to raise your kids. Um, it can be a little bland, but it's not dead, and we don't ride horses to work. And we do go to work when it's 30 degrees below zero. And, you know, life actually does happen here. There is stuff to do here. I find it interesting to, from me being in Iowa to hear somebody from Omaha, Nebraska saying that Omaha, Nebraska is kind of bland. <laughs> We're kind of caught in the middle, unfortunately. 
You know, we're not real big, but we're not real small either. I think the metro area is pushing three hundred, three quarters of a million people. How many movie theaters do you have? We have one. We have probably at least six or eight, and two more going up that I'm aware of. So how many screens? Um, Gazillion screens, right? Yeah. Right. So Omaha, Nebraska is not a small town and no, should, it shouldn't be bland and boring. Yeah, but if you want to see a foreign film, you're not necessarily going to see it here. But on the other hand, there's a symphony, there's a ballet, there's good restaurants, there's a good standard of living. It used to be fairly safe. It's not so much anymore. Well, what is? Where is? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I, to a certain degree, I would rather be in Omaha than be in some of the small towns in southeast Nebraska right now. You know, just big mess problems and kind of a loss of identity, I think. And I, do, I just wouldn't want to be there. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people uh, that are connected with social services around the state of Iowa, and they just say the meth problem is incredibly bad. It's astronomical. It is unbelievable. And what was interesting is that um, for the two years that I lived in Chicago, um, it was just kind of becoming a problem in the Chicago metro area. I mean, of course, Chicago's always had drug issues and drug gangs and drug traffic and all, you know, the big problems that you have in a big city, but they did not have the meth issues like Nebraska's had. And it's been old news and fairly common for years, for five or seven years. And it's just now becoming a really big issue in Chicago. It's really quite scary. So why do you think people are turning to meth or to drugs, period? Um, My personal view is, well, it's kind of a bleeding heart liberal stance, but I think it's a lot of hopelessness. I think it's a lot of anger. I think it's a lot of frustration. Um, It might be the sense of not being able to compete or on on the other end of the spectrum, feeling all powerful, like you can't be touched. I think that at the heart of it, I think it's the loss of the soul and the center of the family and of the community and I think there's just a big focus in society on all the wrong things, materialism and wealth and money and stuff, Um, and there's a cost for that. And I think people feel empty, and I think that's how they fill themselves up, and that's how they cope, is by turning to drugs. And I think it's just a a sign of a bigger societal problem. So in the, the realm of politics, where do you see yourself, to the middle, to the left, or to the right? Well, I used to actually be more left than I am now, but I'm definitely to the left, definitely. I'm fairly fiscally conservative, but I'm pretty socially liberal. So have you always voted Democratic? Yes. When I was in sixth grade, um, we had a mock election, and this was the year that Reagan was running against Carter, so it had to been like 1980. And we had the mock election, and we went in and we voted in secret, and we did the whole shebang, and it turned out that... Of course, Reagan won in a landslide, and there was only two kids in all of my sixth grade class who voted for Carter, me and somebody else. And to this day, I have no idea who that other kid was, but I really want to know who was the other lone liberal in my sixth grade class at Cody Elementary. So So tell me about the Democratic Party. Do you feel that it is representing your views well right now? Well, I'm, you know, I'm definitely to the left, but I'm not a registered Democrat, and I haven't been for a while. 
I'm just as disappointed and disheartened in the Democrat Democratic Party as I am in the Republican Party. I don't think that, you know, if, you know, politics is a pie chart, of course the Democrats are going to have a greater chance or probability of, of aligning themselves with, with my personal views, but I don't think that they really care about me, and I certainly don't necessarily trust them to be any different than the Republicans. You know what I mean? I just think it's all fairly well corrupt. I think it's overrun with money. Um, I think that politicians will say whatever they need to say in order to get elected. It's not about, you know, representing their constituents. It's more about getting elected, getting elected, getting elected, and it's more about who's in power. And unfortunately, I think in this country, it's a zero-sum game, so you only get one or the other, which I think is horrible. So what do you think they need to change or any political party needs to change to gain your vote or your trust from either you or your friends and neighbors? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm willing to I'm willing to listen to anybody wherever they fall on the political spectrum as long as they're a plain dealer and as long as they 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 take responsibility for what they believe in and they're willing to say what it is and they're willing to admit that there are no easy decisions and compromises have to be made and not everybody's going to be happy. Um, you know, and this is, these are what I perceive as the facts and this is what I think we should do. And I'm willing to listen to that, no matter who it may be. I mean, I will, I will easily and without a problem vote for a Republican if I think that person is better suited for the, the, the position that they're running for. I don't have a problem with that. I'd, I'd vote for a libertarian, although I would be surprised if I voted for a libertarian, but I'd be willing to consider it. I would vote for a Green. I would vote for a Democrat. I would vote for an Independent, you know. Yeah, okay. Well, well tell me about some of the current events around the world that people are talking about either at work or, you know, in the neighborhood or maybe around the family table. Well, what's interesting is I have a pretty – a pretty well, not necessarily politically active family, but we certainly have our opinions, and I think that we're aware of it, of what's going on in the world and all the issues and the headlines and whatnot. But we don't talk about it as much as we used to, and I think that a lot of people don't talk about it as much as they used to, especially those of us who are on the left. And I think it's because there is just controversy fatigue, compassion fatigue, terrorism fatigue, um, corruption fatigue. I think people just want to talk about anything else but politics. At least the people that I know. So, are you thinking that people are looking toward escapism? No, I don't. Mm, no, I don't think that they are. I think that they're just fed up and tired, and they just don't have the energy to talk about it anymore. You know, I used to get into great political discussions. Um, with friends of mine. That's kind of one of the things that we like to do is to get into political discussions, and it has really dropped off. Um, honestly, I think since Bush came into office and we went to war in Iraq, because I think a lot of people are feeling fatigued and like there isn't really any point in discussing it. Um, one, because no change can come from people's opinions and maybe they feel powerless. And I think that most people are aware of the fact that it's mm, the country is very diametrically opposed right now, but it's pretty much split down the split down the middle, and people feel strongly to the right or they feel strongly to the left. And 
there isn't a whole lot of people willing to compromise or listen to the other side or find any kind of common ground. And people just are tired of talking about it, I think. They're not willing to talk about it. And plus, I also think that a lot of people, at least particularly in my age group and a couple of years older, um, it isn't their main concern. Um, their main concerns are with their families and with their lives and finding some meaning and trying to do something that matters and, you know, kind of trying to get away from the materialism and the pressure to make money and the pressure to have a bigger house and the pressure to have all the stuff and to find something that actually can drive them and motivate them to get up in the morning. That would be something more. That's a conversation that I have with people all across gender lines and age lines and, you know. So I think it's one of two things. People just are, are tired of talking about it. They don't see any real solutions to it. And then number two, they're just kind of looking for something deeper anyway. So what do you think the person in London who has to take a commuter train every day to get to work, what do you think is the first thing that they think about? Man, that's really, I don't know. I don't know. My fear is the first thing that they're thinking is that the, the, they wouldn't be dealing with this situation if it wasn't for the U.S. foreign policy. That it's our fault that these things are happening. That if we weren't in Iraq, they wouldn't be getting suicide bombings in the tube. That's my fear. I honestly don't know. I think that I read a message board that has a lot of international participants, and the majority of the international participants are from Australia or New Zealand or Britain. Um, not a whole lot of Germans, not a whole lot of Swedes, mostly Americans, predominantly Americans, and Brits. And I think that the impression that I get is, on the whole, um, people in other countries like Americans as, as people. They like the individuals, but they do not like the country and its policies and what, what the nation does, but they like the individual people that they know. And I've heard that uh, as well. Matter of fact, I was watching a, a, a talk show earlier, and, and that's pretty much what they said, which is we love Americans, we just don't like the American government's policies. Right. And I think that is important, too, and I think that a lot of the Americans whose comments that I read on this board um, want to make it clear and, you know, to, to get the word out that there's a whole lot of Americans who don't, we're not a monolithic country, and we don't necessarily like the policies that our government gets involved with either. And even those of us who do agree with foreign policy decisions, which is, of course, obviously the most important one to a lot of nations or economic decisions, even if we do agree on the whole, um, people still can disagree to, to a degree. And it isn't just a monolithic country. And in particular, I think that it's really important for some people to make sure that it gets expressed that, yes, George Bush won this election, and there's a lot of people who are very, very much against him, and you need to understand that it's, it's almost a 50-50 split. And for as many people who support him, there's a goodly number of people who do not. And I, and I think that most people outside the United States who are willing to, to consider that understand that and don't have a problem with that. I find it interesting that with the fact that people aren't trusting George Bush's views, that also they have trust against the opposition, which is the Democratic Party as well. So if you have distrust with both, where do the American people go? Mm, well, I personally, 
nobody seems to, you know, uh, take this kind of point of view except for me. I seem to be the only person who seems to feel this way. But there's, what, 290 million Americans? I don't even know. The last time I knew for sure the population was 260 million, and that was 15 years ago. So there's 290 million Americans, for, let's say. Now, not all of them can vote. Not all of them are eligible to vote. Not all of them are old enough to vote. But certainly a big, huge majority chunk of them are. And I personally hold the American public responsible for what's going on in politics. Because, yes, it's true that there is PAC money and there is influence and there is all this other stuff. But the fact of the matter is it's a matter of math. And you can vote them out. Your vote doesn't cost anything. And I realize that not everybody has an equal opportunity to vote. Some people are supposed to be able to get off work. Some employers don't. Some people don't feel like they can, they can enforce that, that regulation law, whatever it is. I don't even know. I mean, not everybody's going to be able to do that. But I blame it on people who won't vote, don't see their vote as important, or don't think, and they just vote their, they just vote the ticket, or they vote the name that they know the most, or they vote for the guy whose hair they like. You know, I hold the American public responsible, and I do think that we get the government that we deserve. And if we don't like it, then you need to be out there in your community. You need to be working for whatever you need to do to get on the school board, to get on the Metropolitan Community College Board, to get on the water board, to get on your city council, to get in your state legislature. You know, you need to be out there and doing these kinds of things. And, you, and I think that it's not logical for the United States to be represented by only two parties because we aren't that way. All of us fall on the spectrum, no matter what issue that we're talking about. Everybody falls on a spectrum somewhere. Nobody is all this or all that, I don't think. And it, it doesn't make sense for there to only be two parties. So people need to be developing more parties. They need to be dealing with the election board. They need to get people on the ballot. They need to get people on the national debates. They need to be working for more voices. And it's not an easy thing to do. You're very right about that. It's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. And, you know, I mean, I got a lot of flack um, in some circles for voting for Nader um, in the last presidential election. Um, and I, I felt strongly, and I feel strongly now, that in that context, the most important thing I have is my, my ability to vote. My vote actually is important. And people are like, well, you have absolutely no choice of winning. I know that. We know he pulled votes from the Democrats, possibly. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that, and certainly not in Nebraska. It wasn't an issue. But I feel that it's very, very vitally important that you vote your conscience. And not only was I voting for someone whose views that I liked better, um, and I wasn't afraid to go out of the party line to do that, I also think that it's really, really important to cast a vote for diversity on the ballot. And that was part of the reason why I voted for him. And not just because it was like the hip thing to do or whatever. It's like I strongly feel that we need more, we need more voices in the national arena in particular. And that's what I was voting for. Okay, okay. Anything else you'd like to talk about besides politics? Um, well, nothing that I can think about offhand. Okay. Um, are, are you ready to have some fun, though? Sure. <laughs> 
Yep, let me switch modes. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Let's let's go ahead and play Celebrity Square Root. Now, oh, God. I know. But hopefully it'll be fun. No, I'm just saying. I hope, I hope I can remember the names of famous people. Well, we'll find that out. <laughs> See, that's part of the deal is to find out, you know, how well you can associate the topics that I have with uh, celebrities that are just kind of, uh, you know, what I would call top-of-mind awareness. I think if I say Paris Hilton, I have a 30% chance of being right. Uh, you, well, on, on a couple of these, you may not be right. So if we've, we've, we've stirred up the categories pretty well. For example, you know, one of the examples I have for, well, if I were to say name a, you know, TV daytime talk show, uh, you'd probably, most people would say Oprah Winfrey. Okay. So that's how it works. Okay. So are you ready? I hope through. I'll do my best. Remember, you have to give celebrity names. Okay. Don't give the shows. Give the celebrity names. Oh, Lord, I can't Okay, here we go. Okay. Judges, are you ready? Judges say they're ready, so. <laughs> a current TV sitcom. Duh! I can think of all the names. I can't think of any of the actors that are on it. Uh, Charlie Sheet. Right? Right. That, that's a good one. Okay. TV sitcom from the 80s. Bill Cosby. Very good. Somebody that appeared in a Steven Spielberg movie. Oprah Winfrey. Oh, that's a good one. I, I would have never thought of that. How about co-starred with Kevin Bacon? That's an easy one. Everybody's co-starred with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Okay, how about uh, a star of an English comedy? On television or a movie? Doesn't matter. Hugh Grant. Oh, okay. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to go ahead and end Celebrity Square Root, but thanks for being a good sport. That was the, really the hardest part. Well, well, no, I, I hope so. <laughs> Ask me, next time do PBS Square Root. Ooh. Well, see, you had a chance with English comedy. <laughs> okay, time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where we turn the tables, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. These questions have not been previewed, and... I don't know what's coming down, so go ahead and shoot. Okay, so here's a question that I actually had this weekend. What is the difference between horsepower and torque? Horsepower is a, well, what's called brake horsepower, is actual uh, the power of the engine, and the torque is actually the thrust that it uh, pulls out. Sounds good to me. That, I think that falls in line with what I looked up on the Internet. Okay. Sounds about right. Okay, here's another question. Do you know why the British and the former British colonies drive on the left side of the road? I can honestly say I do not know why. I know why. Fire away. It's because it has to do, in part, with the size of wagons that were used in England proper and the British Isles proper versus the European continent and versus the United States. In England, for lack of a better term, in England they would use a wagon that was smaller because the roads were smaller, the country was smaller, the topography was smaller. So they ended up using a wagon with a single horse that had a seat, so they would ride on the left-hand side of the road so that if they needed to quickly draw their sword back in the Middle Ages, they could do that by being on the left side of the road and drawing their sword with their right hand. 
Does that make sense? No. They wanted to have their right hand available. Okay. And they were sitting in, in a in a, a wagon that only required one horse, typically, so they had a seat. They could hold the reins with their left hand. They could draw their sword with the right hand. They could lash their horse with the right hand. When you get later on into history, around the 1700s, on the continent and in the United States, the topography is different. You can use a larger wagon um, to haul more stuff because the roads can be wider. I don't know if you've ever driven in like in Britain or in Ireland, but the roads are very narrow. So you get to the States, you get to France, the roads are wider, they can use bigger wagons, haul more stuff, so what they end up doing is using a team of horses as opposed to one single horse, and typically the driver would ride on the left-hand side horse. Now this necessitated being on the right-hand side of the road so that when they came across, another wagon going the opposite direction, they could watch the wheels on the left-hand side of the, of the wagon to make sure that they didn't run their wheels together. So they ended up riding on the right, right side of the road. That's interesting. But did they really have enough engineering to say that where are we going to put these cell phones once they get invented? <laughs> that is now typically used in, well, you do have your choice. I think most people would use the rain hand for the cell phone. Mm. Most people, and you may notice this to be true, most people will talk on the phone with the phone to their left ear. Most people are talking with the cell phone while they've got one finger on the wheel, which is really scary. Which is equally as dangerous as driving drunk. Or with a sword. <laughs> and driving drunk with a sword while smoking, talking on a cell phone, you know, attempting to drive a stick. Right. And then you've got the people behind them that are talking to the police. <laughs> That are saying there's somebody with a sword hanging out the window driving drunk while talking on the cell phone. Really, it's amazing. I, you know, being a youngin and everything, I just don't understand how we got through millennia of, of human development and human history without the advent of the cell phone. Because really, I mean, it's key that you be able to call your spouse when you're leaving your office going, I'm leaving my office, I'll be home in half an hour. You have too much time. You have too much time. Because you know what? You're going to be home in a half an hour regardless. Why the phone call? Yeah. I think people have cell phones because they can. I, I agree. I don't have a cell phone. I do, but I only use it uh, when I'm away. I had a cell phone for a while. It had a purpose, but after a while it didn't have a purpose. And I'm, I'm not willing to spend money on it. So I don't have one. What's question number three? Question number three. Question number three. Question number three. Hang on just a second. Oh! This is for your opinion. If you had an inheritable, inheritable disease in your family and there was an ability to test for it, would you want to know if you had the disease or not? Yes. Why? Because I think that knowledge is power. And I think that if you know something that is affecting you or whatever, that you might as well plan for it or, or you know, find out if you can do something about it. What if there's no cure? But wonder if there is. What if by putting that in your medical records, you're no longer able to get life insurance or health insurance? Uh, good point. Would you still be willing to know? Uh, not if it injured me to, to the point where I couldn't get health insurance. What if you knew that was what, what was going to kill you but wasn't going to kill you for another 30 or 40 years? Would you still want to know? I think I would. Really? No. Yeah. Huh. I mean, people you know, who, for example, who live with Alzheimer's or have or been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, 
You know, they, they know. Yeah, it's true. That's at least one place where, you, you know, you know that in this day and age, there's not a whole lot you can do about it, so you might as well. It's like the Shawshank Redemption. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. Yeah, and, and it's time to get your house in order. Mm, interesting. So that's my opinion. Karen, thank you so much for your time, your opinions, and uh, just sharing everything that you know <laughs> about driving on the left side of the road. And I hope it's kind of right. Somebody's going to, I know somebody's going to, it's going to be controversial. Well, the other thing that was I thought was kind of interesting that you, you discussed driving on the left side of the road, and yes, your politics are from the left, too. <laughs> it must mean I'm right-brained. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Thank you so much for being our guest on You Are the Guest. My pleasure. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. With me is Steve from Nina, Wisconsin. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. It's great to be with you. So tell me a little bit about Nina, Wisconsin, uh, maybe a little bit about what you do for a living. Well, you know, Bill, Nina, Wisconsin, uh, until probably, I guess, 20, 25 years ago, per capita had the most millionaires in Wisconsin. Now, that was due to a company that uh, many of you around the world will, will recognize called Kimberly Clark. The Kimberleys were here and the Clarks were here, and they had a lot of money. And there's still some pretty fancy houses, but uh, Kimberly Clark has uh, since re- relocated their their offices to Dallas. But when people think of Nina, they think of Kimberly Clark. And um, there are also some manholes that are made by Nina Foundry. So next time you're playing tennis in the parking lot and you see a manhole, why you'll uh, think of Nina. And also uh, a lot of paper industry up here as well as cheese in Wisconsin. Kimberly Clark is still employing people up there right now? Kimberly Clark is, and, and Bill, they're uh, just announced that they're going to be uh, downsizing their um, crew by about 10%, I guess. Um, they want to have that done, I, I believe, by the end of year 2006-something. So that wasn't good news for the economy in general here in Wisconsin and for Kimberly Clark as a whole. But as you know in business, you need to do what you need to do to stay competitive. So what are your friends and neighbors saying about those layoffs? Well, you know, it, it certainly is, is news that uh, was uh, a shock to some. Um, although uh, our industry uh, here in the area, paper industry, and economy in general, it, it has only bounced back a little bit. Bill, I, I heard someone say the other day that um, there was someone from somewhere else in the country that was thinking of relocating to Wisconsin because of the bad economy where they were and the supposed good economy here. Well, I guess we've been spoiled so much over the years and um, that that sounded a little bit strange to me. I I, uh, work with businesses every day, and I'm noticing a little bit of a turn, but I can't say that it's necessarily 1999 right now, Bill. I, I believe that 2001, we're still feeling some of the repercussions of that, and so... Those are the the main rumblings I'm hearing from the business community in general. So what else is going on in Wisconsin? Well, you know, we got a, a, a team up here that uh, they used to 
to say years ago that the Dallas Cowboys were America's team. Well, the Green Bay Packers are the world's team, as you know, up here. And uh, soon they will be in uh, training camp. And so we have uh, the world congregating up on the little stadium up there called Lambeau Field. We have a quarterback here by the name of Brett Favre, and every year we never quite are sure if uh, he's putting in his last season or not. And we have an awful lot of cheese here in Wisconsin. And um, we have cold in the, 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 the winter, and we have uh, hot in the summer going on here uh, as we record. So do you have any special connections to the Packers yeah, whatsoever? Yeah, I do, Bill. Um, I'm an author and a speaker. I had the privilege in 1996 of writing a book called Leap of Faith, God Must Be a Packer Fan, which is the only book in literary history that ever combined a professional sports franchise and faith. And uh, the book was a, a bestseller, um, sold 50,000 copies, and got us out there. So we've, uh, we've had a, a piece and a part of this uh, tradition, if you will, in, in Wisconsin. We wrote two sequels to the book. Also wrote a personal development book in 2001 called Seven Steps from Your Dreams to Your Destiny. And I'm writing a book right now I think you'll find uh, fascinating, you and your listeners, called Coincidence or God Incidents, Stories of Miracles, Mysteries, and Hope. And imagine Paul Harvey maybe writing Faith, Rest of the Stories, something like that. Imagine the chicken soup stories on steroids with a defibrillator at the end. Uh, we have some incredible stories of uh, divine intervention, and uh, we're really excited about that project. We hope to have out uh, worldwide probably by October of this year. We're still looking for stories, and Bill, in any way that would be appropriate that you could give out that people could submit stories uh, to us for the book Coincidence or God Incidents, we would love to hear from your listeners who, of course, are listening all over the world. Tell me about one of your favorite stories that, that you came across. Stories. Well, I, I think this is going to be a, a good uh, story. There was a lady in Escanaba, Michigan, which is in the Midwest up near uh, Lake Superior. Her name was Kathy, and she had a baby that she would uh, read to sleep each and every afternoon. This was in 1979 on a hot summer day. So she was laying with the baby on the, the blanket while the lady next door by the name of Ethel was over sweeping her sidewalk. Well, Ethel was kind of nosy and, and uh, th that sort. But anyway, suddenly in between the lady and the baby and Ethel stood a man. And he looked down at the lady and he said, Ma'am, pick up your child and move now. She said he had such an authoritative voice. He had a, a beautiful suit on, and she didn't even think twice. She picked up her baby, set her book down, and she moved to the steps of the apartment. About eight seconds after this, a rickety old pickup truck came through an intersection, lost control, went up over the curb, and stopped right on the blanket. Well, the lady realized her and her baby would have been dead if not for the man who had said, pick up the baby. Ethel came running over and said, honey, are you okay? She said, I'm fine. Ethel said, my goodness, I saw that whole thing. Are you sure you're okay? The lady with the baby said, I'm fine. And oh, by the way, where'd the man go? And Ethel said, what man? So thus, the title was that a coincidence or a God incidence? That's called the baby on the blanket. Just kind of an idea of what we're, what we're looking at. Tell me about what your thoughts are, some of the, what your neighbors or friends are saying about uh, the, what's happening over in London when they've had the, the recent bombings and it's also come out that they've 
shot an innocent suspect? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think it just, you know, goes to show that this stuff is not limited geographically. Of course, uh, here in the United States, we you know, still feeling the repercussions of 911. And now, of course, there have been uh, numerous things that have happened throughout the world. And, um, boy, I guess when you, you, you learn when you have authorities chasing you and they're, they're, t- they're telling you to stop, you, you certainly need to stop. As much ridicule as there is that they shot this man who, who turned out to be innocent and he was running because he was scared, I, I think that they also probably you know, would have been feeling the, the heat if they had let him go without some sort of, you know, action from that standpoint. But I think really um, what I'm hearing is, you know, the world just, you know, is being put on a higher level of alert. And isn't it incredible um, uh, that, that it just a small group of individuals who feel in many ways different than uh, the majority, how much influence, power, and control uh, they can have. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, what what I have been hearing is that it really is important to stand up against this uh, sort of thinking and terrorism. And uh, I think we're doing that. So what do you think about uh, the world events when it comes to Iraq? Do you think we're doing the right thing? Are people telling you that uh, we're, we're, we should be staying there? We should be uh, throwing more troops in? We should get out? What are they telling you? Well, you know, um, I can re- recall the night before all this began, and I remember thinking, what if this is going to take longer than what we think? What if there's something that we're, we're not aware of here? And um, certainly, I think the majority of uh, people certainly believe right now that there should be more of an exit plan. And I think the, the case can be made that they're also going to there's are there always going to be some of these insurgents over there that are, are creating problems. But again, I don't know enough about it. I certainly trust our commander-in-chief, uh, George Bush. I certainly have to support our troops and, uh, again, really believe that we have to take a stand against uh, the, the terrorism. But I think people, uh, Bill, are really you know feeling like there needs to be uh, some sort of a, a more of a aggressive of plan. But that's you know, just what I'm hearing. Let, let's talk about what seems to be going on in the state of Wisconsin. What, what you know, besides the Packers, what, what's the, the biggest news story of the day? Well, there really isn't uh, an awful lot going on uh, here in Wisconsin in general. Um, How's your governor doing? Well, our governor uh, has an awful lot of power here in the state of Wisconsin. And um, as someone who has an opportunity to consult with businesses, people are always concerned about uh, taxes here in Wisconsin. We're in the top ten, and uh, it's uh, a, a difficult uh, place to do business at times. And so um, it's important, I think, for the, the business person to be able to have that voice and stand up for what they believe. And, uh, you know, we're, we're great that this is a... A wonderful place to live and and vote, but um, yeah, we're uh, we're definitely uh, still in a little bit of a tenuous economy here, and um, I think uh, the election coming up next year uh, to find out who's going to be put in Madison is going to be very interesting. Tell me, what do you guys do for fun up there? Well, in the summer, you know, we have some nice weather. In the winter, it's cold. So there's a lot of snowmobiling, there's a lot of skiing, there's a lot of ice skating and, and uh, sliding uh, along the highways 
as well. We have uh, lots of nice uh, hills in the majority of our, our state up here, and there is plenty to do, Bill. You know, we have a lot of museums. We have uh, parks, things, and uh, plenty of uh, professional sports franchise uh, franchises. And um, so there really is uh, plenty plenty to do. It's not boring to, to live in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is a beautiful state. Uh, I lived up there for a few years, and I can tell you it's a, it's a nice state to live in. Yeah, you know, we have some nice green trees in the in the summer and the the leaves uh, eventually do fall off in the in the fall and that uh, then uh, switches to beautiful uh snowfalls that come down so we have white christmases and really the only uh, two months of the year that are incredibly uh difficult can be January and February, but we really don't have anything to uh to complain about there is uh, plenty plenty to be grateful for and plenty to do well steve thanks for your your time and your opinions are you ready to play celebrity square root boy i don't know if i'd ever be ready to do that but we're, we're certainly gonna go for it okay here's how it works what i'll do is i'll give you a a topic a media topic and then you have to give me the first celebrity that comes to your mind when we talk about that. All right. So here's one. Just I've got a few Wisconsin deals in here. All right. So we'll see if we can throw that in there. Um, celebrity square root of a sports movie. Sports movie. Oh, my goodness. Tom Cruise. There we go. How about uh, a movie about bowling? Oh, Woody Harrelson. Hey, very good. <laughs> How about uh, Monday Night Football host from the 70s? Uh, Howard Cosell. Famous brewer broadcaster. Bob Euchre. Somebody that's appeared in a Miller Lite commercial. Oh, my goodness. Um, Boog Powell. Very good. Very obscure. I would have said Billy Martin. Okay. All right. But uh, I, I, I like your answer better. <laughs> At this time, let's go ahead and play Ask Bill 3. This is where we turn the tables, and, or I guess I turn the tables to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything you want to and we have not previewed these questions so i don't know what you're going to ask so fire away bill i would like you to answer for the worldwide audience what do you think technologically where uh the greatest advancements will be say in the next five years around the world i still think that communications is where the advances are going to go if you take a look from probably where I grew up as a kid, where we went from getting things from books, encyclopedias, to now researching it on the Internet, I think that's just going to continue to, to go uh, faster and faster. I also think there's going to be a lot of technological advances in energy and, and new energies to really offset what we're spending in gas. Okay, fantastic. Bill, what's your favorite subject to read? Favorite subject to read are um, biographies, uh, success stories. Uh, I like to find out how people did it, why they did it, what struggles they went through. And so for me, that's always intriguing. So I like stories about people. Fantastic. Last one here, Bill. Boy, lots riding on this one. Who will win the 2005 Super Bowl to be played whatever in January of next year? you got to love the Packers. Boy, Amen. Amen. That's a good answer, Bill. My my second choice was the Phoenix Cardinals. 
Oh, boy. Yeah, well, they got a new quarterback down there now. So. Well, who's that? Uh, Kurt Warner. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Iowa boy. Yeah. Uh, he could do well. That's right. That's right. He's from Iowa. You've, you've been in Iowa. I, I am in Iowa. Oh, you are. Okay. I am in Iowa. Absolutely. End of the world? Uh, no, but you can see it from here. <laughs> Good answer. Just <laughs> a good answer. Steve, thank you so much for being our guest on You Are the Guest, and good luck with the book. Bill, I appreciate it. By the way, if you have a story that you'd like to share with Steve for his upcoming book, we've set up a special email address at www.youaretheguest.com called Steve's Stories. So just click onto that link, and you'll be able to share your story with Steve. And who knows, you might be included in his new book. I'd like to thank Karen from Omaha, Nebraska, and Steve from Nino, Wisconsin, for being on our second show of You Are the Guest. And if you'd like to be on the show next time, all you need to do is go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com, click on Be a Guest, and send us an email with your first name, the city where you live, and why you'd make a good guest. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.